I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Get up to 30% off wedding jewelry at bluenile.com. And remember the joy of your wedding day forever. Blue Nile offers everything from diamond and lab-grown diamond wedding bands to classic pearls, earrings you can design yourself, even gorgeous sapphire pieces for your something blue. Whatever you choose, Blue Nile's pieces are all graded for excellence, for a lasting memento as brilliant as the love that inspired it. Right now, get up to 30% off at BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. A view from the Bullins are delighted to announce that our second event in support of Everton in the community is on Thursday the 26th of August. Join us for an evening with Kevin Ratcliffe, Derek Mountfield and Goodison Park Stadium announcer Graham White. A limited amount of tickets go on sale Friday the 2nd of April at 9am. For more information, please visit our website at www.thebullinsview.co.uk. We hope to see you all there for a great evening and a fantastic tour. Hello and welcome to A View from the Bullins. And it's the Everton phone-in with me, Mick Kemp, Lee McLean and Ben Winstanley. Our first guest this evening is Ian Mills from Across the Park. Ian, thanks for joining us. No, no worries, lads. A pleasure to be on. Thank you very much for the invite. Really kind of you. Happy to be on tonight. No, welcome, Ian, mate. Welcome, Ian. Thanks for joining us. You've come on to talk about style of play uh, and Everton's right hand side. You've got a few, a few issues with it. Yeah, I think it's been a a common debate. I think the lads and yourself included will see on Twitter that you know Evertonians are blowing like the winds. One minute this low block is the best thing since sliced bread. Another minute, then we want something else. I I think that the personnel we've got in the squad really, really restricts us. And I go back to the start of the season, really, Mick, with we were seemingly in black and white blowing teams away that was never the case we, we were never really blowing teams away the, the games were quite close until certain stages of the game where quality showed with with a Hammers Rodriguez or an informed Dominic Calvert-Lewin I think Fleetwood even scored goals past us so I think we got to the Southampton game and, and Southampton beat us 2-0 and it was a really good performance from Southampton mm-hmm. and Carlo realised that we, we couldn't go on the season we we would be found out if we carried on the, the sort 
sort of attacking football. I think arguably the next the next season or two, the, the play will will expand and we might do more. I, I, I just think we're limited, and I think it is a time for a little bit of bit of patience from Evertonians, me included. I, I go on our podcast, I listen to your podcast, and I know instant match reactions can be quite raw, but I'd like to think that all of us will sit down at the end of the season and reflect on a really good first full season for Carlo Ancelotti. This style of play. Although not not easy on the eye, I, I can't see many neutrals tuning into Everton on, mm. on, on a Saturday evening at half five. Um, I certainly wouldn't if I, if I was a neutral. But it's a, it's a style of football which has got us in a position where, after this international break, we can have a real go at, at getting European football next season, and, and that opens up you know whole new avenues for a transfer window with Carlo Ancelotti looking at targets. Mm. Ben, do you agree with Ian on that one? You, it's you know, Ian's trying to say, you know, we're, we're playing this sort of style of football probably because Carlo Ancelotti has to, but it's effective and it's put us in a good position to attack Europe for the last 10 games of the season. Oh, absolutely. I completely agree with uh, Ian there in relation to, to the neutral fan. We are nice to watch at the moment, but obviously going forward, you've seen at the start of the year, we are prominently playing a 4-3-3 when all the, the players were fit and match ready and all fit and up to standard. So, Going forward, I think Ancelotti would want that formation. Um, obviously, James Rodriguez was playing on the right. You had the midfield of Alan, Gomez um, and Decore. And if that worked in the middle. You had your legs, you had your Alan sitting and Gomez was playing up and down for your passing. So it was working. James Rodriguez was finding a bit of room in between the lines. Um, and you had Richarlison on the left and Calvert-Lewin up front. And that was probably our strongest formation going forward. As as Ian touched on then, the first few games, we, we were scoring five, six goals, but conceding two or three. So I think Carlo Ancelotti went back to the drawing board and we seen a 5-3-2 when we played against Fulham. Mm. Or 3-5-2, should I say, where we had full-backs bombing on around the back and getting in behind. And f- for me, Richarlison and Calvert-Lewin are fun together. I- I'm still unsure if Richarlison's best position is out wide. I, I like him in the box. He's a goal scorer for me. He gets on the end of crosses. He's good in the air, good aerial. He's, he's right, left-footed and he's a nuisance for players. And Calvert-Lewin's holder play brings teams uh, and players around him and helps their game too. So looking forward, it, it's going to be difficult for Carlo. Now, do you play a high press 4-3-3 where you literally have three attackers? Now, I don't think we've got the players currently to obviously play even, even a high line. You can see Carlo Ancelotti's tactics. We don't play a very high line at the back and we seem to invite pressure on. Um, is that in relation to trust with the current players we've got? Potentially. You've seen in the news today where there's, there's murmurs of Kula uh, Daly from Napoli, obviously approaching 30 years of age. Now, he's a monster centre-half. Now, it, does that still need addressing? Is he unhappy with the players around uh, who are at the back? And it, it, It's a difficult one because I, I see the centre-half system as a really strong, positive position at the Everton Football Club at the moment. You've got Yerry Mina, uh, Michael Keane and Ben Godfrey, which we can all agree Ben Godfrey's been phenomenal this year and one of the players of the season for me. But where does that leave Mason Holgate and other players going forward? So it it is, at the moment, it is quite bad for the neutral, but we've commented on previous podcasts and obviously on Across the Park that um, we have done an Italian job in some games where we've defended brilliantly uh, every, every man on the line, last minute, last ditch tackles. And we've got results we've seen in that running Christmas around December time where we had the home games where we'd be Chelsea, Arsenal, for example, Leicester away. It was backs against the wall job. Um, 
playing on the break, playing well, and it worked. But I feel like teams have found us out again, and Carlo's changing from a, a 5-3-2, 4-3-3 to 4-4-2 even. So it, he has got a, a big task ahead, and I feel like this summer is going to be massive for Everton and Carlo Ancelotti personally. So, yeah, completely agree with Ian there. All his points were absolutely spot on. It's not nice to watch at the moment, um, but I'm sure, obviously, we've had five or six big injuries, and I think you put a stat out, Mick, on, on the Twitter account there. We haven't had our big signings playing in the same game since October. I think they've only played together six times. We've won five, drawn one. So that's a stat in itself. So when, when everyone's fit and available, it's clear to see Carlo wants to play a 4 3 3. But what you do when they're all out injured, it's a difficult one. It's up to the uh, the gaffer to sort, but it's one of them, Mick. Mm. Ian, sticking with you, you. You know, you're mm. unsure or, or you, you may be thinking regarding the style of play that it's it's a. We're setting our ways at the moment to benefit the team long-term to obviously maybe try and hit Europe at the right time. But when we play at home against the likes of Burnley and Fulham, we still tend to play that system. And can you forgive the fans for being frustrated with that? Yeah, of course. Well, I mean, this season is, is such a strange season. We're not the only team in the league who are who are having bad times at home. Look at that lot across the park. It's, it's hilarious most weeks since Christmas watching what's happening to them. And Liverpool fans on, on our podcast, they, they can't get their headphones in. And I'm the same when, when it comes to Everton. I, I can't explain how Newcastle, Fulham and Burnley can look like better teams than Everton. Is that solely down to the setup? I'm not so sure because at the Newcastle game at home, we were quite attacking. We went the other way and he... And he seems to learn from that in relation to going or trying to learn from it going into Fulham and Burnley it's been a really frustrating time for a lot of teams at home us included I don't think really they go hand in hand I don't think the tactics can be to blame too often I think if you look at the league table if we'd have drew the games at home to to West Ham Leeds and Burnley we'd have been you know, fifth and with the ability to go fourth mm. with a game in hands. So to get points in those games, I think he was probably looking at the bigger picture. Maybe he, he's, he's very smart in, in what games he identifies as being tough games. And they turned out to be tough games. Those three or four teams came to Goodison and, and had nothing to lose. Mm. I think they showed us a respect that it was a free hit. Sometimes teams do that to, to United or City or Liverpool. They, they take it as a free hit. And our early season form may have scared some teams and, and in turn how they set up against us shocked us and we couldn't deal with it and like I said Mick I don't think it goes hand in hand I think sometimes you can look in black and white at the formations and the players we played And but there's only been a handful of times this season and what were 20 27 28 games in I can count on one hand how many times I was disappointed with a starting 11 and that says everything to me Lee do you share the same views as Ian regarding regarding the style of play yeah it's really difficult to disagree with anything Ian or, or indeed Ben have, have said. It's not been pretty to watch for the vast majority of the season. Um, but there's so many variables and the lads have touched upon them. Um, someone put an interesting stat out the other day that that Man City trio in midfield only cost £8 million more than Everton's midfield um, on the weekend just gone. And what that says to me, we're still paying the price for really, really poor recruitment. You know, we've we've suffered, you know, before Ancelotti, and I've got to point that out because his record in the transfer market so far has been really, really positive, of course. But before that, he's having to deal with the aftermath of four, five years of poisonously bad recruitment where we've overspent on players who are maybe at the wrong end of the career, maybe at the, the wrong reasons for wanting to join Everton. Um, 
didn't they weren't needed in terms of the positions we addressed as as uh, transfer targets. So the squad's imbalanced. It's you know it's seriously lacking in pace. We discussed that at the weekend. Kevin Ratcliffe was quite vocal about the, the need for pace. Um, so Ancelotti's making the best of what he's got, and and I think the fact that we're still in a position where if we win our game in hand, we go fifth. That says a lot about you know what to Ian's point. A lot of teams are struggling. There's there's no one really putting any sort of significant run of results together. Teams are struggling at home. They're struggling to get used to maybe the environment. I do think fans are a factor um, for everyone, and I think that that's telling. And I think it's it's the proofs in the pudding in terms of the statistics around home wins and stuff like that. I think there's more the percentage of away wins this season is higher than than home wins across the board because um, you don't get that that bounce, you don't get momentum, you don't get the lift of the fans, you don't get influence in decisions. You know, if you go a goal up, you don't get the lift of the fans pushing you on to get a second. If you go a goal down, you don't get the lift of the fans to get back in the game. It's all stuff that we've never had to deal with before. But I just, I just think it's it's the players we've got. He's having to deal with the cards he's been dealt. Um, it is easy to get frustrated because even though the squad looks a little bit imbalanced and, and it's not necessarily Ancelotti's squad, you look on paper most weeks when we're playing these teams that we've mentioned at home and you think, and that should be enough to beat them. And that's where the frustration comes in because despite all of that, we should really have got better results. You're not going to win all of them. Mm. Football's not played on paper. It'd be great if it was. But like Ian said there, even if we'd have won one and drew one, the difference that would have made to our league position now would have been incredible and it would have took the pressure off certain games. So you've just got to hope that now we've got a, a really long, horrible break of two weeks, an unnecessary break, by the way, mm. uh, where hopefully he can come up with something. You know, he's, he's, he's an unbelievable manager. He's proven that he can address this home form and come up with a way of just getting... To, between now and the end of the season, and getting getting some get, getting a couple of home wins because it's shocking. I mean, I mean, we haven't scored in the second half at home since is it October? Mm, yeah. Mm. So we're, we're talking five months, five months of football where we haven't scored a second half goal. There's something seriously amiss there. So um, I'm glad it's Ancelotti's problem to deal with, not mine, because we've we've been talking at length, haven't we, for weeks and weeks after the games, trying to come up with a solution, and we can't find one. So I uh, hope Ancelotti can. Mm. Ian, sticking with the style of play, we'll, we'll move on to your next subject, which was the the right hand side of Everton at the moment, the right back and the and the right wing. You know, we've played Godfrey at right back, Seamus Coleman, Mason Holgate. The right back position. What what's your issue there? Do you think? Well, I think that does go hand in hand with, with how limited we are. I think you, you know what you get from Mason Holgate is you get sort of you, you get a solid right back. Mm. Um, when you need to defend, you're quite safe in relation to Holgate being on that right-hand side. What you don't get is the attack and threat. If we're countering very quickly from a corner, it's not going to be him that, that that's bombing on and, and doing it. You're not going to get much output. And there was a game, I think the Burnley game, some of his crosses were just so so disappointing. They were going nowhere near any of our men. On the flip side, what you used to get from Seamus Coleman is exactly what we need to have now. And, and I think that's what needs to be addressed. There was no complaints from, from me personally at the start of the season when Coleman was supporting Hammers Rodriguez. I was quite excited by that relationship. It was very quickly apparent that Hammers Rodriguez would, would, would not stay fit and neither would Seamus Coleman. 
and that's caused all the issues for me because you've never had a consistent right hand side. We've you've even played Alex Awobi. As the lad said there, a full right wing back. There's been a number of times we've tried mm-hmm. to address this. Ben Godfrey will be up there when we talk about player of the year come May, June. He has a nightmare at right back at Southampton away. There's been a, a number of times we've tried to address it. I think the fact that we haven't got a real understudy for Hammers Rodriguez hurts that. We, we've got no plan B when, when he doesn't play. I, I know we've played uh, Alex Awobi there a few times and, and had little bits of joy, nowhere near enough from what we should be having from someone who could cost Everton Football Club that level of money. And I think a large part of it is not offensive. I think I think the output that we don't get from the right-hand side when we don't have Hamas Rodriguez and Seamus Coleman together, that, that kills us. I don't think it's, it, it's really a Seamus Coleman question because, like I said, I thought he'd done quite well at the start of the season when he he was he knew his role and, and he'd sometimes overlap, but other times he was happy for Hamish Rodriguez to support it. He's getting on. He's a player who, who four, five, six years ago, I would argue with, with anybody that he was up there with the, the best right-backs in the, in the country. It, it's not the case, sadly, anymore. We, we tried to address it with... Gibril Sidibe, Marcus Marco Silva and Marcelo Brands tried to address it by bringing Sidibe in. It, it was very quickly apparent that that he couldn't cut it week in, week out. I think we've been linked very heavily with Max Ahrens. What I would say is Max Ahrens would be a fantastic sign of Everton Football Club. But what we do need is we also need a right-hand side of forward to go with that because, again, I'm not saying that these guys are the answer, but are you telling me that the game... You've just talked about that a Theo Walcott or a Moise Keane couldn't have had some sort of impact in those games. I would argue all day that they would have, especially fresh. I think a Theo Walcott against Newcastle at home or, or against Fulham at home would have had an impact. I think a Moise Keane would have as well. So I don't just think it's as simple as, as bringing a new right back in. I think that has to be addressed. I'd also like Everton to bring in a, a wide forward this summer as well. Mm. And do you share the same thoughts about the right-hand side as Ian on that one? Oh, absolutely. It's been one of my quotes over the past few podcasts that we need a whole new right side. Uh, as Ian rightly touched on there, we can't just need a right back. We need that right winger too. And we've tried obviously different players in different positions. And I've stuck up for the likes of Alex Awobi in the past couple of weeks as well. Um, I know he hasn't performed brilliantly, but he's been he's been playing against two players there. And I think teams have worked us out how to defend against us. They know that we're going to go down the left-hand side. They know Lucas Dean's a brilliant crosser. And they can just nullify that right-hand side completely and stack and prevent Lucas Dean bombing on well, on the left. So you, you look at Alex Awobi trying to get past two plays. When Mason Holgate's been playing there, there's no overlapping runs. He's not taking any defenders with him. Um, and obviously the likes of Max Owens loves going up and down, full of energy, got brilliant end product. And I think he's created the highest chances in the championship this season. And for me, with his age, um, he's slotted straight in there for your 10-year right-back for me. Obviously, the similar deal when Seamus Coleman came to the club. What an absolute brilliant serving Coleman's been for this football club. But it, 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 it's you can see with all Everton fans, he's picking up the niggles now. He's lost that bit of pace. I've touched on it against Man City. He had a foot race with Fernandinho in the second half. And the Seamus of four or five years ago, as Ian rightly touched on before, would be past him and going direct at, that, at their left-back. And he, he lost the ball, lost the 50-50, and Man City had the ball back again. So... It, it's difficult. You look at some of the stats. Obviously, Seamus Coleman's played 22 games as a right-back and a right-wing-back. Uh, only one assist. Mason Allgate's played approximately 21 games. Uh, one goal, no assists. 
where you look at Luca Dean, 26 games, he's been injured for a vast majority of them as well, coming on as a sub and has got six assists. So you can see what side our fullbacks attack down and it, it, it needs addressing as a matter of urgency. Um, Ian's at the nail on the head there for me. We need pace. We need overlapping fullbacks. We need to take runners off. We're, we're very static. We're immobile and we're not the quickest team. And I completely agree with the Theo Walcott and Moise Keane shouts. Second half of games, defenders don't want to see the likes of Theo Walcott and Moise Keane coming on and their Nike Vapors getting all excited to come on to go really direct at, at the fullback. Because at the end of the day, Premier League is fast and it's physical. They're the two main attributes for me, physicality and pace. If you haven't got either of them, you're going to struggle in this league because that's what it comes in abundance with all the different types of teams. Like your Burnley's got your physicality, but like your Man City got your technical flair and your speed as well. So it, yeah, we need it needs addressed as a matter of urgency. Um, if we can get that right in the summer, get that right hand side sorted, then we'll have a really balanced team. And like Ian said, there we can't rely on the likes of Seamus Coleman and your Hammers Rodriguez because they're going to pick up niggles. It seems quite apparent from early doors, as Ian touched on before, that they are going to pick up niggles, they are going to get fresh and be out for a couple of weeks. So, yeah, completely agree with Ian there, Mick. We need to address that right-hand side immediately in the summer um, and we need pace. Uh, we need an outball. A few times against Man City, there was one-on-one. I think it was a Wobi, um, and he just put the really bad crosses in. And mm-hmm. You've got Calvert-Lewin there and Richarlison. If you're going to play two up front, who are both excellent in the air, um, and they are natural-born finishers, the, the pair of them. When they get time to think, they, they're not as good, but one-touch finishers, they're, they're both brilliant at it. And if we can get more crosses into the box um, from a, a higher-caliber player, which we see when Hammers is playing, I think they expect the goals as well over one when Hammers is in the team and 0.7 when he's not, which is, just shows how important Hammers Rodriguez is into this team. So, yeah, that right-hand side needs a dressing mix for me um, in the mm. summer as a priority. It's Marcel Brand's number one concern for me. Mm. Ian, before you go, it's going to be a bit of a, an, an odd transfer window this summer, you'd presume, obviously because of COVID and money might be a bit tighter than normal. Right-back or right-wing, which one's the bigger priority for you? Put me on the spot there, mate. Um, <laughs> if, if you told me that we could go and get a, a right-winger, or we could get Max Aaron's. If you put a gun to my head, I'd say Max Aaron's simply because Seamus Coleman is 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 near. He's he's nearing the end now, unfortunately. And, and I think we've we've seen, like I said, there what Mason Holgate doesn't give us. I think there's times you can maybe patch up the right hand side. Hammers will maybe play just over half the games this season. Mm. You'd hope to get more next season after this recovery period that's been planned for him. You can patch up the right hand side more. Especially if Moise Keane does does return, and if he doesn't, then the money he will bring in will allow us to 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 do something. I'd gun to the head, Mick. I'd say bring in a very very fit attacking right wing back. Ian, thanks for joining us. That's Ian Mills from across the park. Our next guest is Jamie Foster. Jamie, thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. No, you're very welcome, welcome Jamie. Mate, you're right. Yeah, I'm good. Thanks yourself. Evening, Jamie. Evening. Uh, Jamie, you've come to talk about Gilfie Sigurdsson and Gilfie Sigurdsson's contract situation. Yeah. Um, to start, I know it's oh, the wheels are probably already in motion on it mm. for his for him to be signing a new deal after Carlos said everyone's pleased with him and they're going to talk to him to renew his contract. Mm. But for me, I don't think it's a sensible and viable decision 
to renew it for quite a few reasons. Mm. To start, his current deal expires in June 2022. And by the end of that, he'll be 32. So he's already coming towards the end of his career as not to sound rude, but you can sort of see his performances over the past few seasons have declined. Mm. But he's reportedly earning between there's different figures everywhere. There's ranges from eighty thousand to a hundred thousand. So take that as five point two million pound a year. Yeah. For what he offers to the team, I don't think it's a sensible decision. And the run of form that he went on between December and February, where everyone was saying first name on the team sheet alongside Godfrey and other people like that. Mm. When looking back on it, I just I was asking myself, was is this a, a this is this the form you'd expect for a player you paid forty five million pound for? and a player who earns over £5 million a year. I know footballers don't dictate the price that's paid for them, but from an Everton point of view, I don't think he's first-team quality. Mm. Lee, do you you share that same opinion as Jamie, that he's not first-team quality? Not long-term. No, I think Jamie's right. Um, you know, I am. I do tend to agree with the points he's made. Um, obviously, we brought him in for forty-five million pounds in two thousand and seventeen, and he's one of them we've spoke. Haven't we? The curious case of Guilty Sigurdsson. He, he's got. You can't doubt. You know, you'd be stupid to doubt his ability. He's he's technically very very good, but he's not someone who's going to take a game by the scruff of the neck and drag you through a game, and and turn a an average performance into a, a win. He just won't do that. Um, so you think of your, your, your really, really great midfielders over the years, uh, you know, Lampard, Scholes, you know, sorry to say, Gerard. They, they, they could win games single-handedly. We need someone like that. We need someone in that midfield who can take a, a, a game by the scruff of the neck. That, that's definitely one of Ben's favourite quotes, that one, by the way. Take a game by the scruff of the neck. And y- y- Jamie's right, you know, for the money we pay, and the, the wage that we pay him each week, you'd expect more. So if you take if you factor everything in, age, uh, consistency of performances, where Everton want to go, I don't think Mashiri or, or uh, Brands and Ancelotti are messing around you know, with, the, with the outlay and the money that they've spent. I would be surprised myself uh, if, if we were to offer him a new deal. Mm. But I, I think the signs are that's going to happen. Now, I don't know whether Everton are going to look to renegotiate and maybe get get his salary down a little bit, bearing in mind that, you know, if he, if he was to want to leave, you know, he's not he's not going to get anywhere bigger than Everton at this point in his career. So it might be a case of, right, OK, Gilfie, you know, we're going to cut your, your wage by a third, but you're still in and around the first team squad at a team who are looking to challenge Europe. Would, would he go for that? I don't know. Or would he want to play week in, week out uh, at maybe a mid-table club? So he's got ability, but we need more. We need more consistency. We need more legs. Um, and we need somebody who's going to win us games, ultimately. So, and, I, and I don't think he's the answer long-term, no. Mm. Jamie, for you, is there a position for Gilfie Sigurdsson in the squad? Maybe until the end of his contract and 
depending on whether we get Europe, I'd say if we get Europe, there is as a squad player. Mm. But going forward, you don't want to be paying a squad player eighty thousand, a hundred thousand pound a week. So, like Lee said, whether there's other clubs interested in him, whether he'd want to play week in, week out. I remember there was a report in the Athletic earlier this year saying that DC United were interested in him and that they'd held discussions with him about a move when his contract ends. And for me, obviously, I think he should take that option because I, I just don't see the value in paying him to do what he does and offer what he does because when you look at his stats this season, he's got in the league four goals and four assists, which on paper, it, it looks quite good. But when you actually look a bit further into them, you've got two of them, four goals of penalties. The four assists you've got, one of them's from a corner directly. Another is from when a corner's been taken short and he's crossed it in. And the other, another is when he's played in a corner poorly and then got a cross in afterwards, which is the one against West Brom, meaning that he's only made one assist from open play, which for an attacking midfielder, who's supposedly supposed to be, well, when we bought him at the tag of one of the best in the league up there with Ericsson, mm. only having one assist from open play in however many games he's played this season, it's just not, I don't think it would be viable to extend his contract when you've got younger options on the market who could potentially come in, develop into a better player and offer more. And, I was looking at some statistics before on what he offers to the team and if Carlo was to continue playing his well, his ideal four three three, so have Alan and Decore and then yeah. you have your third midfielder. So you've got Alan who's the ball winner, sits in the six, and then you've got Decore as the box the box. The third midfielder is characteristically you'd want them to be a number ten. You'd want them someone who is a progressive passer, has a high number of shot creating actions, has a high number of passes into the final third. And when you look at Sigurdsson this season, the shot creating actions, so things he does on the pitch that lead to a shot, when you take away the set pieces from that, he's ranked 11th in the squad for the amount of shot creating actions. Mm. For an attacking midfielder, that outlay just, it's, it's not worth it when he's behind the likes of Tom Davis, James Coleman. Then you've got the two other midfielders in Ducor and Gomez. Then you've got Dean, Calvert-Lewin, Richarlison, Awobi, James and even Bernardi's behind. Mm. And you, Jamie, do you think that he's a luxury player? I don't know. I, I think he's massively overrated purely because of that run of form when he, that he went on when he got some goals and assists because on the eye it's good but when you look at the rest of the game he just didn't do much at all and for a luxury player your luxury player Everton is hammered he, he just comes in gets the job done and as you were saying one of Ben's favourite quotes Hammers does take the game by the scruff of the neck mm. he, he's the player who can win you a game Mm. Whereas Sigurdsson, like Lee said, he's he's not that player. Mm. And when you look at Sigurdsson and Hammers, they're both 
ideally number tens. The drop off between Sigurdsson from James is it's it's quite it's it's quite shocking. Going back to the shot creating actions, so what you ideally look for in an attacking midfielder. Sigurdsson, this is minus to set plays, averages over less than one a, under one less than James a game. Mm. Considering Sigurdsson's had more touches in the opposition penalty area as well, pair 90. So if he's in and around the area, how is he not offering something that will lead to a shot? Mm. Ben, but, do you feel do you feel this way, Ben? Do you feel that we can't afford to carry him like we can carry Hammers? Well, Jamie's just blew all my stats off the wall. So book <laughs> all excited to talk and he's blowing them all out. But it's um he's a difficult player, isn't he? Sigurdsson, we spoke about him before. He's very hot and cold um in how he plays. He's either in the mix of it or we're carrying him and he's not getting involved at all. And some Everton fans love to see players getting stuck in, throwing a foot in. Now Sigurdsson isn't gonna do your big tackles, is he? He, he tends to pull out and then it gets me on. It gets to me where you look at like Godfrey. And he's going to be walloping someone to get the crowd up. Sigurdsson's not going to give you that. But obviously, Jamie mentioned the stats before. Now I've gone for obviously for all his games. Um, he's played for us thirty-four times this year, scoring six and assisting nine. He's got the second highest um, goal contributions in our squad, even more so than Hammers. Even though Hammers has played a lot less games than him, he is still creating chances and scoring goals, even though it's pedal in a penalty. So. He is. He has performed well and he has got us out of games. That West Brom game where he came on, he, he basically got us the three points for me there. We weren't playing well. We weren't creating anything. The crossing was very poor. Um, and I've been speaking to a few people on Twitter regarding Sigurdsson. Um, obviously, the Esker that everyone well knows very well on Twitter and Matthew Spence, who's a, a big listener to the podcast. And mm. they talk about, um, obviously, the profit and loss and the business side of things. So I was just speaking to them to get their views about it. Um, and they said to obviously assume that we bought Sigurdsson for £45 million on his five-year deal. So the amortisation cost on it every year is £9 million. So he has one year left this summer, as Jamie quite rightly stated before. Um, now, if we give him the contract, the extra one-year contract, which, as Jamie quite rightly stated before, is progressing by all accounts. Now, he's talked about Sigurdsson as like a massive model pro. Um, a lot of articles saying like how good he is around the dressing room and how good he is to like younger generation stuff like that. But if he gets that extra year, um, which takes him for the extra year till the June twenty twenty three, Everton themselves will be four and a half million better off because we can spread that nine million pounds amortization cost across the two years instead of one. Um, it was very complex for me. I didn't quite get it, but I didn't. I, to put it like a simple fingers, um, it just means we'll have a bit more off the profit and loss accounts for the financial fair play. Um, so it takes that four and up, that nine million and spreads it over two years, which is a massive plus for Everton. If we can reduce his wage in the process and say, look, we're going to give you an extra year here um, and be in and around the squad on lower wages, then for me, it's a no brainer because he does give you assists and he does give you goals where. A team full of like your Awobis and Bernards, and I know Jamie's a massive fan of Awobi, but he, 31 games, two goals, three assists. Now, I know he's not been playing in his 10 position where he wants to play, he's been on the wing, but Bernard's the same 15 games, three goals, one assist. It's just not good enough for Everton going forward, for me personally. And Sigurdsson offers that stiff, 
difference for me from set pieces and um, look to get assists from a set piece you've got to put the, the right ball into the box and he's done that on numerous times people say is it their ball specialist now that's played to our advantage Evan are a big team and don't forget we scored probably the most head goals in the Premier League and scored I think near enough the top three of goals from actual set pieces so we are a big physical side and we've got to play to our strengths is he a starter long term future Probably not for me. I completely agree with, with Lee and Jamie there. But if he's willing to take the pay cuts and spread the cost we owe on him, I think it's a no-brainer if he's willing to be in and around the squad, given his given his feedback and his professionalism to the young lads in the squad around and taking a step back. Because he's one of the names that obviously talked about for management as well in the future. Got a very clever football and brain, but he just needs to just show a bit more um, and earn that contract. As James said, he went through a, a good couple of months, which won back quite a lot of Evertonians, me included. Um, clearly hasn't pulled the wall over Jamie's eyes just yet, has he, mate? <laughs> Jamie, before you go, just a quick one. So, are you keeping Sigurdsson or you do you want to get rid? Well, if if Ben said, like, I agree with Ben, you feel, if with the financial side of it, if you can get him to take a pay cut and stay around, as he's a good influence in the dressing room, I will keep him. But if if there's no wage cut on there, I I wouldn't. Because going back to what Ben said very quickly about the West Brom game, he was brought on to win the game, which yes, he did. He got an assist, mm. but he was also brought on to control the midfield because we were losing the battle. For a midfielder to make three passes in twenty six minutes with one of them passes being the assist. It's not something that you you need, but for set pieces, you as Ben said, you've got is a set piece specialist. Although he doesn't score any mm. set pieces, he does. Oh, do you know what? Make I love this stats to fight stats. That's what I'm all about. He <laughs> <laughs> was brought in as a set piece specialist, I suppose, but despite only scoring one free kick in pre-season against Blackpool in his whole Everton career, but mm. when. You've got the players like you've got Hammers and Dean who can also take a corner, and I'm pretty sure Richarlison maybe could as well. I wouldn't even go and say it will be, even though I've got a massive agenda because he cannot cross a ball <laughs> for life. But for me, if if you can get that reduced wage, keeping him in and around the squad would be a good decision because I've seen everywhere, as Ben said, about how well he is around the dressing room. And he's there's been spoken of a, a sort of a role model, and you can tell he gets on well with the team. As there was a part in an interview where Tom Davis just starts shouting his name, and it shows that he's a team player. But he's also our vice captain, I believe. So yeah. if you can keep him around, and he, he can help the youngsters come through, but only if it's financially, um. If only if it makes sense financially yes. for the squad. Okay, Jamie, thanks for joining us as always, mate. Thanks, Jamie. Thank you very much. Hi, Matt. Matt Smith from A Week in Football. Matt, you've come on to talk about expectations for a remainder of the season. What are your expectations then for the remainder of the season? Well, it's not really um, expectations, Mick. It's more hope than anything else. Um, like the, uh, listen to previous podcasts of yours. It's kind of We've all been really devastated over the last few weeks. Our form isn't really great at the moment. But I was kind of looking um, back at previous seasons and stuff like that. Like last season, 59 points got sixth place. Although I do think we'll need a few more points uh, in order to get Europa League this season. 
But as we stand, Everton are only 13 points out of a possible 30 away from matching last season's sixth mm-hmm. and seventh place, uh, placings. But it sounds easy enough, but if we win half of our remaining games, we'll get there. But this is Everton we're talking about, so you never know. Um, Form-wise, I'm not really positive about the form. Our last 10 games, we've played 10, won four, lost four, drawn two. So we have 10 games left. If we match that form, we'll be there or thereabouts. But just looking at our upcoming fixtures as well, Palace at home, Brighton away, like you'd expect Everton to get some form results out of those two games. But again, this is Everton, so you just never know. Um, if we do win those two games, we're going to be right back in the hunt for European football. Um, listen to your previous podcast as well, uh, Kevin Ratcliffe saying that he doesn't think Everton are, are ready for Europe. It could be a hindrance. Obviously, the team that we have now aren't ready for, for European football. But I think as a club for Everton to move forward, we do need some form of European football. Like, if Carlo Ancelotti and Marcel Brands are ringing players in the summer, listen, we have European football. Do you want to come and play for Everton? It's going to be a big pull. So I think we do need European football. And just, just looking at the next four games after the Palace and Brighton, Spurs at home, who are Europa League challengers. Arsenal away, who are Europa League challengers. Aston Villa at home, again, Europa League challengers. West Ham away, who are challenging for a Champions League and Europa League. So it's literally in Everton's hands. We're three points off fifth place with a game in hand and only five points off fourth place with a game in hand. So if you look at it from that point of view, it is in our hands. If we want European football, we can go and get it if we want it. It's there. Um, do I expect us to do it? I No, not really, but I, I just hope we do it because us as fans kind of deserve something and I think if, if if Carlo Ancelotti and we get European football this season I think we're going to have a massive summer and the likes of uh, Ben and Lee have been saying it on previous podcasts our whole right hand side needs sorting we need a ball carrying midfielder and we also need help up front for Dom mm. but I don't think we'll get what Carlo wants if we don't get European football. That's just my opinion, Mick. Mm. Lee, do you share that same concern? Do you think that if Everton don't manage to get into the Europa League, we will then probably fail to sort out some of our transfer mm-hmm. signings? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Said it last week, didn't I, Mick? I think um, Matt just picked up on it. I think it's very clear. Um, I think Europe would have been the agenda of, of you know, Europe, European football of some uh, sort will have been the, the clear aim at the start of the season. Um, and it's absolutely paramount for us. So if we want to attract the, the type of targets that I'm sure Ancelotti, Brands, Mashiri have got lined out, then we we need to qualify for Europe because it's it's a massive factor in a player's decision. You know, you know if they're going to up sticks, mm-hmm. move the family, you know, um, make a decision which league they want to play in. It, it's good. It's not just going to come down to the fact that Everton have got a a great training facility or they can offer you know, decent wages, which we know we can these days, or, you know, the fact that we've got a stadium two or three years down the line. These players have got a short career and they're going to be thinking of the here and now and they want to play on the, on the top level and, and you can't blame them. So we've got a massive opportunity between now and the end of the season because we're still right in there. You know, Matt's just correctly pointed out. We've got two, the first two games after this international break are massive because we've we've talked about this at length and repeatedly over the course of the, the past couple of months, you have to beat 
the teams that you're expected to beat. Otherwise, it puts stupid amounts of pressure on these games that, that again, Matt just mentioned, your West Ham, your Arsenal, Tottenham games, where all of a sudden they all become six-pointers where you have to win. And, and when pressure becomes a factor, players, more often than not, struggle to perform. You know, so you, you want freedom of performance, you want a free hit. And, and the only way we're going to get to that is if we beat Crystal Palace and Brighton. Mm. So, so it's a sad thing. It's looking a sad at the league thing, table, guys, Everton are currently sitting in eighth, uh, level on points with them lot across the park, two points behind Tottenham and three points behind West Ham in fifth. Matt, where do you think Everton are going to finish? Well, to be honest, Chip, I think if it, we've been going on about it all year, about the games in hand and stuff like that, and the table is starting to kind of fizzle itself out and everyone's going into their proper positions over there. I don't actually know when that um, game in hand against Villa is meant to be played. I don't know if you guys know, no, but no. Um, I'm not sure when it's supposed to be played. But those two games against Aston Villa are huge, huge games. I'd be expecting to beat Aston Villa, especially with the form they're in. And if we are playing them close together, they could be a nice six points as well there. I mean, 10 games left. I'm looking at Palace at home, Brighton away, Sheffield United at home. Wolves at home and the two games against Aston Villa why can't we go and win those games mm. at least win four of them and draw two of them and then take what we can against Spurs Arsenal and West Ham and Man City last game of the season you hope you hope that Man City last game of the season you hope they have a Champions League final or something to look forward to um, and they don't, they're not really looking at the league because they're going to have the league wrapped up so you kind of hope now saying that City playing a second string team could probably be any team in the league but that's what you kind of hope for I said it there as well. If we get 13 to 15 points out of a possible 30, we should finish in the Europa League places, especially because we're playing teams who are around us. Like Spurs are, Spurs are around us, Arsenal are around us, Villa are around us, West Ham are around us as well. It's in our hands. I think there's nothing stopping us getting 15, 16, 17 points out of the last 30 points. And I, I hope we finish the fifth or sixth but I expect us to finish sixth or seventh. That's just the way what I think is going to happen. Mm-hmm. Ben, but looking at those fixtures and what Matt's just said, if Everton do win those games, especially against the, the first six, against the likes of Brighton, Aston Villa twice and so on, if we do manage to maybe win four, win five out of those six, it would put Everton in a very good position to probably at least get sixth, wouldn't it? Yeah, some brilliant points from Matt there. Uh, thanks for coming on, mate. Really appreciate it. Um, mm-hmm. Obviously, looking at the fixtures we've got, as Matt quite rightly stated, it's in our hands. Besides City away, which you say, they're levels above everyone in this Premier League. Their squad is just insane and ridiculous. So they can play the second string, as we've seen against us at the weekend, and put us to bed quite easily. But like you said, Palace Brighton after the international break, hopefully you have the Hamas Rodriguez coming back, a few people coming back from injuries. That'll give us the boost we need to... They're the games that Hamas Rodriguez is going to shine in, but we've struggled against teams at home, especially the likes of Leeds, West Ham, Newcastle, Burnley. Is our Palace going to be like that again? Another Roy Hodgson performance, a bit of a negative 4 4 2 or 4 5 1, and come and break us down. Um, so it is going to be difficult, but it is in our hands. The games we've got Palace, Brighton away, Spurs, that they're not unbeatable. We've seen on the first game of the season that we put them to bed really well. Um, they're under a bit of pressure at the moment, getting knocked out of Europe. So they'll be looking to finish as high as possible. Um, Arsenal away again. We can we've shown this season that we can beat them. Villa twice, which 
they've gone through a bit of a sluggish run of form because they started like us this year, Villa, but literally scoring for fun and really going at teams and attacking them. But I feel like they got a bit found out. But West Ham away, um, I think David Moyes is doing a really good job at West Ham. Um, and it's going to be it'd be another difficult fixture, but the games in and around us. So, is it like you said, pick up four or five wins out of them games? There, it's it's six point games really. It's a three point difference either way, and I probably agree with Matt's expectations um, around sixth or seventh. Now, is it going to be the same again, finishing seventh if City go on and win everything again this year? The the, the treble or the quadruple if they're still in four or four and will that seventh position then come open for Europe? Because as I stated on the weekend, so obviously in response to uh, Kevin Ratcliffe's comments, we, we, we need your European football. Uh, Matt hit the nail on the head before. We we need it to attract players. Obviously, players want to come and they want to play for Carlo Ancelotti. It, 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 news articles coming out all the time about players saying that, but he's one of the best man managers in the world. The likes of Cristiano Ronaldo, they're coming out and saying stuff like that. Who, one of the best footballers ever to grace the planet, saying the manager of Everton Football Club is one of the best managers in the world, which is it's so good to see and refreshing as Evertonians that this man will have the pull. But imagine saying Ancelotti's going to manage you in Europe uh, and go away with Everton. It's, it's got more of a pull, more of a draw. And uh, Is the squad ready for Champions League football? You'd probably no. argue not. No. Yeah, I, I agree, no. Liam. It's... it's you can't have the likes of obviously Fabian Delph playing four games a year and strolling into a Champions League squad. It, it's going to be honest, putting everything out there. I don't think we're ready for the Champions League. Uh, I still feel like it's a project. Um, I feel like the past few years have been a bit of a roller coaster for us Evertonians, from the excitement to the sheer depression that we felt when we've got some players that haven't really pulled off. But look, look to the future. Um, Ancelotti's at the helm. If we can get European football, bring four or five strong additions in this summer with the likes of obviously uh, Gabamon hopefully coming back strong. Uh, if he can sort out his injury worries and come back strong, he's an, another option for next year. Another squad member, another um, cog for Ancelotti to work into the machine that he's trying to get going and we need a few more windows we need to make this Carlo Ancelotti squad so if you look at this team it's Moyes, Silva, Koeman all of them mixed into even Allardyce has still got players on loan <laughs> knocking about do you know what I mean and so it, it's going to be a while to turn this squad into Carlo Ancelotti's and I know how desperate we are and you could tell from the dejection and upset on me and Leeway at the weekend and mm. Bally as well. We're desperate for success. We're desperate for the trophy. And but I think European football going away with the lads. Hopefully, it's all back to normal next year. A few European tours with the Bullens lads yeah. and go away see the Blues in Europe would be beneficial for the club, the supporters, and the attraction of players. But I completely agree with Matt Nick. The sixth or seventh is more realistic. But I'd, I'd absolutely love to come fifth for the automatic qualifiers. So our season doesn't start early July again. Mm. So Matt, it has been a Jekyll and Hyde season. So what is an acceptable position for Everton to end in this season? Would you say it? It all depends on on what Everton do over the last ten games. To be honest, with you. I mean, last year I think with five or six games to go, we had an outside chance of finishing seventh. I think, um, and we just capitulated and, and ended up finishing twelfth. I think what I think Everton should probably do over the last ten games is try and finish fourth. And then if we don't finish fourth, at least we finish fifth or sixth. I think if we try and say to ourselves, oh, we'll, we'll go into this game and get a job because that'll keep us in seventh, that, that's only going to work one way and it's only going to go against you. I think the best thing we can probably do is win the game in hand, try our best to beat the teams around us and try our very, very best to get fourth. And if it doesn't work out, 
um, then we can we can be disappointed with fifth or sixth. But we're in Europe, and just to add to Ben's points there about about Ancelotti, Ancelotti. Ancelotti's pull in terms of getting people into the club, it's all well and good. Like, Alan came into the club because of Ancelotti. Rodriguez came into the club because of Ancelotti. But we can't keep doing that as well. We need to be able to pick young players as well who want to come to the club. But they're only going to come to the club if we have European football. Like, the likes of Max Ahrens or Leon Bailey in, in Leverkusen and all that, they'll come because Ancelotti's the manager, but they'll come because Ancelotti's the manager and we're in Europe. Like, they won't necessarily want to come to Everton if we finish at 10th or, or 10th or 11th again. Do you know what I mean? And my worry is that this is the year to do it. We needed to do it this year because a lot of teams are in disarray. I think next year, the likes of Arsenal, Spurs, um, Liverpool are obviously like, we're, we're in a battle for Europa League with Liverpool. Who would have thought it? Yeah. Um, so they're all going to get better again. So unless we improve in the summer, we could be looking at finishing 7th, 8th or ninth again next year. So, I think in order to make our squad Europa League and Champions League ready, we need to finish in Europe. And I just hope to God that we finish at worst sixth place. Because like um, the boy Matt, said, I think... Matt, it's not just about, for me as well, it's not just about, I don't know what you think, it's not just about who we can attract, you know, in terms of the importance of getting European football. It might make it really difficult to retain our best players. You exactly. Know, there's a real yeah. fear that Richarlis and Dinia, they might think, hang on, there's no European football again. And I'm a top mm. player. I want to play European football. So what do you think? Well, the only the only um, thing I'd say about Richarlison, if he does want to leave and we can get 70 or 80 million for him, then let him go. Mm. If we don't get European football, now I know some Evertonians might, might disagree with that, but if we get 80, 85 plus million for Richarlison, surely we can implement that back into the squad and invest into the squad, put it into three or four positions across the squad that we need. Like Max Ahrens isn't going to cost... 80 million um, the likes of Rabio, Leon Bailey we could get three or four players into that squad on the Richarlison money I know we should probably be building our squad around them but if he's not if he doesn't want to be at the club he doesn't want to be at the club so there's not much we can do about that now you can read into different things about that but mm. I agree with what you're saying but we decided Luca Dean signed a new contract and stuff like that I know that doesn't really mean anything but I agree with you but at the end of the day as well we don't have that many massive players who would actually want to leave for European and, and who take them like we don't actually have many many world class players if you look at it so maybe like uh, like who, who's a world class players Richardson, Luca Dean Dominic Calvert-Lewin maybe not not even world class just... I'm not sure I'd call them world class I think the, like, but that's what I'm saying yeah he's a world class player <laughs> I think world class yeah but you know what I'm saying class... I'm saying like who would yeah. who would I, I speak to Amanda Fee yeah. Yeah, exactly. My my Liverpool friends, my, my Manchester United friends, my Chelsea friends all over here in Ireland. I, I asked them who would you take off Everton to put into your squads? And they just say, Maybe Luca Dean, maybe Richardson, maybe Dominic Cavalone at a push. Yeah. So we have we have like eighteen, nineteen players there. Yeah, we have assets. Who, we do have assets, yeah. That's it, yeah. So I don't know really to be honest with you. But yeah. <laughs> Before you go, Matt, I'm going to ask you, where are Everton going to finish? My prediction is we will finish sixth. Ben, where are Everton going to finish? Oh, God. It's the, it's a, <laughs> it's the heart and the head moment here. Uh, my heart says sixth, but my head is saying it's going to be seventh for me. But if, as long as it guarantees Europe, and it's one of them. Mm. Lee? 
just want to say there is more chance of Everton finishing top than Lucy letting me go on a European tour with the Bull and Wood. <laughs> That's not happening. <laughs> <laughs> but it, where do I think we'll finish? Seventh. Seventh. Yeah. Matt, thanks for joining us, mate. That is Cheers, Matt from a week no from football. Thank, Thank you, Matt. Matt. Next guest is Rob Wood. Rob, thanks for joining us. No worries, mate. Thanks for having me. Thanks for coming on, Rob. Cheers, boys. Rob, Even, Rob. Rob, you want to talk about Everton's style of play? Yeah, I just I just want to touch on it. I've, like all of us, I, I go on Twitter quite a bit and, and social media, and it's becoming more and more apparent that a lot of our fan base aren't happy with the style of play, um, particularly at home, which I can understand. Um a lot of people are saying it's negative and we're not creating enough. My personal opinion is we we haven't got the squad at the moment that's fit for purpose for doing any other any other way uh, moving forward. Particularly when we do try and break teams down, we haven't got the players who are capable of doing it. Mm-hmm. Until we get them players, I really can't see any other alternative. Don't get me wrong, at home you want to be on the front foot, you want to be really pressing forward and, and trying to get the goals. But I look around this team and if you take Richardson perhaps out of it, James, who, let's be honest, has hardly played at all, where's the creativity coming from? Mm-hmm. Who, who have we got in this squad that we can put on that pitch and really say to them, right, today you're the one who's going to create the chances, you're going to, you're going to set us up and everything comes through you. I don't see any. So, while I agree that we have been negative at times, although it has worked in our favour, let's be honest, particularly against the big teams, I, I can't see any other way of playing. I don't know whether you all feel the same over that or whether you, you know, see something differently to me, but I've been watching... I agree with you. Years and Lee, I just can't. Lee, how do you feel about that? Do you think it's what Robert's saying there is right? Yeah, absolutely. And again, it's, it's very... It echoes things that I've said in the past couple of weeks make it we just simply haven't got the players to break teams down and that, that that's very evident when you watch Everton of late you know when, when teams who have like Ben said earlier on who have done, done the homework against us when teams sit in they create two banks of four and make themselves difficult to break down Everton haven't got the players to find answers so we've we've got a, a glaring lack of pace and pace is what hurts teams when do you ever see Everton get in behind anyone so Seamus Coleman used to be very, very good at that. So you remember back to his early days, 2010, 11, 12, when he had various partnerships down that right-hand side. He'd constantly be bombing on, overlapping, making himself available, getting to the byline, little one-twos. He, he, he simply hasn't got that in his armoury anymore. He's unable to do that. Um, obviously, he, he's going to worry about what he's leaving behind him. So on the right, on the right that leaves us very, very vulnerable um, and toothless. And on the left... Luca Dean has not really had anyone to strike a partnership with consistently. So it's the midfield. The midfield and the, and the right-back area are, are, are just causing massive problems for Everton on a bigger pitch, on a bigger scale, sorry. Mm. Um, so the style of play, it's having to be what it is at the minute. So we're having to set up quite defensive. Obviously, it started off with the, the bigger games away from home. He's, he's then gone on to adopt this style of play in you know, more more frequently at home against so-called lesser sides, and it's it's not it's not working. Um, so there's an argument for me between now and the end of the season, and and I've, and I've said it to you, you know, behind the scenes, Mick. I think there's an argument for us to start going a little bit more direct 
and playing the odds a little bit. So use Dominic Calvert-Lewin, use his strengths. He, he didn't, I don't think he um, he lost a header at the weekend against Manchester City, but there's no one getting up and in and around him. So Everton need to do some work on that. So can Richarlison, can Hammers when he comes back in, whoever else, the midfield, Tom Davis, Sigurdsson, Gomez, can they get up and, and get in and around Calvert-Lewin and, and just play a little bit more direct? Because at least it gets us up the pitch. It gets us in their territory, you know, play for second ball, play for getting a throw-in in, in their half. So at least you, you, you've you got the opportunity for, I don't know, a, a shot from long distance, you know, a bit of territory at least. Because at the minute we're sat that deep, the gap between the defence and the midfield is far, far too big. And, we, um, and we're stuck. We're stuck far too deep and we can't get out. So... It's it's a it's a it's a question Ancelotti's got to answer between now and the end of the season, but it's not pretty to watch. Let's be honest. Everton are dour, and mm. I think Ben mentioned it earlier on. You wouldn't want to turn on your TV and put Everton on a half five on a Saturday afternoon. Rob, I'm going to come back to you though, Rob. Do you do you think that Everton are kind of getting away with the current start of play because there's no fans in the stadium? Well, that that's obviously helped. Let's be honest. If it, if, if the stadiums were full, I'm not sure how much patience. Our fan base in particular would have with it. But I think Lee's spot on there, by the way. I, I think there is a massive argument to go more direct. And it's not pretty, but it's it's not a long-term strategy. We need to try and get into Europe between now and the end of the season. And if that's what it takes, I, for one, am happy to go down that route. Um, long-term, we want to see... You know, you look at other teams, and I'm talking the, the teams that we're aspiring to, to compete with, the likes of Liverpool, the likes of Manchester City, which we're a million miles away from, I'm not saying we're anywhere near them, they have a, a particular way of playing and their strengths are through the wing-backs, particularly Liverpool last season, and, and they stick to that pattern. We haven't got the players to, to, to play that same way week in, week out. You look at even our the whole um, setup is unbalanced. We're having to mix and match up. We're not even playing the same players every week because we don't have a system that they fall into. So, for me, it's all about results now between now and the end of the season. And if we've got to be a little bit more patient, is there any more patience or fan base than us? We've been waiting days of years. Mm. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> it, it, honestly, I, I, I understand people's frustrations. And don't get me wrong, I've been frustrated with some of it, because some of it, particularly against Newcastle, when you look at them games and, you know, Fulham, the just ridiculous points we've dropped. Mm. But there's reasons behind it. And I think it's all about incremental progress. We've got to be patient with this. We've got to give it time. Because once the players are in the right positions, I think we will see better football. Mm. Ben, do you agree with Rob there? Do you think that Everton fans, okay, they are maybe a bit disappointed with the way we are currently playing, but we've just got to be patient? Yeah, definitely. Uh, Rob spot on there. We, we haven't got the squad, have we, to be pushing forward? And if we get one or two injuries, we're back to the bare minimum, as touched on previously. We've got the, we're still sorting out the mistakes made by your Marco Silva, your Steve Walsh, your Ronald Koeman, and Sam Allardyce again. That that name keeps on popping up. But look, you look at our starting 11, and I've said this previously uh, the first few games of the season when everyone was fit and firing. Um, we're, we're a match for any team in that league. We just haven't got the depth and squad that other clubs like your City, your Liverpool, United have got in abundance. So you look at the stat that we you tweeted, Micah, um, I've just found it then, that we've only started six games this season with James, Lucas Dean, Richarlison, Decore, Calvert-Lewin and Allen all being available 
In those six games, Everton have won five and drawn one. Now, that shows me that when the, t- the teams are facing fire and, and all, are all available for selection, that we can go up against the big boys. But it's a squad game football, this Premier League. Teams are going to get niggles. We've seen that of obviously like Yohamez. And when he plays, he's brilliant. Um, but he, he's getting nailed, isn't he? Teams have worked him out. If you hit Hamez early doors, he's gonna he doesn't like it at all and he, he tends to like shy away from trying to get hold of the ball. So it it's not pretty, but with the, the squad isn't Carlo Ancelotti's squad, and you can see that with the way he's trying to tinker the formations. So I think the ideal one for him um, is the four-three-three with the hammers on the right uh, of midfield, and it, it, when Coleman's fully fit, him being right back and that way you can play in between the lines and get around players and Hammers can have the free role to drift and get him in, in the lines between the midfield and defence and play them cutting attacking balls. But it was just an interesting point from what Lee said before. The the last time we've like broke away, got in behind. I think to my knowledge, the last time we broke and really gone at someone with pace was Wofford away last year, I think it was, it was the last minute winner from Theo Wilcott and I think we broke from a corner, didn't we? And Richarlison, mm. Moise Keane and Theo Wilcott scored, scored the winner. And that's the last time I've really seen Everton like go at teams with pace on the counter-attack in football. And it seems to be a bit 4-4-2 and long balls. But look, it's been working. Don't get me wrong, we've said before, I'm, I'd much happily take a 1-0 win playing awful, not attractive football than playing the, most, the best football we've ever seen and getting beat 2-3-0. I'm all for the results. And as Rob quite rightly touched on before, Europe is everything for this club at the moment. And we need to get the results this year. I don't care how we get them. I don't care if it goes in on someone's backside and we win 1-0 in the 89th minutes. I couldn't care less. We need the three points. We need European football. And we can make this squad, Carlo Ancelotti's squad, hopefully in the next couple of windows, because he's going to bring in the talents, the three or four players are going to come in and they're going to improve the squad like we've seen last year. I have no question about that. He's going to get it right this year with Marcel Brands as well. So yeah, it's not nice. It's not attractive. Um, you're not going to put it on a half five as a neutral and watch Everton v Crystal Palace for argument's sake in a few weeks are you? Uh, you're going to get a pizza and probably watch Saturday night takeaway instead. But yeah, it's it's not pretty but we need to get results and when everyone is fit we can play nice attractive football but at the moment when we've got these injuries with the core he was a massive miss James Coleman Gabamon other players as well missing then we need to just play a formation that grinds out results with the squad that he's inherited. Mm. Rob, I know you've got some issues regarding Everton's right back position and right wing. Do you think that works hand in hand the style of plays is currently hampered due to that right hand side? But it's funny there that what Ben's just said spot on again. I wonder, is that his preferred formation, 4-3-3? And if it is, then that whole right-hand side needs replacing. Because we all love um, Seamus Coleman. He's been fantastic, but mm-hmm. he's not the player he was. We know that. And he's, he's never going to be. As you get older, you lose certain aspects of your game. You take him out the side. Hammers for me, is a drifter. He doesn't stick to one position anyway. So who plays in front of your right-back? I look around our squad. Certainly not Awobi for me. Awobi is a, is a player who interlinks. He goes, he's not someone who's going to beat three or four men and put in a fantastic cross, or not regularly enough anyway. And he's certainly not going to contribute goals. Mm. So that means we need at least two players, in my opinion, in them positions, because we haven't got them in the squad. But I'm not so sure... That that Carlo Ancelotti is a manager that plays the same formation every week anyway. For me, 
other managers might have set formations. I think he looks at a game and thinks what will fit best for this particular game. Now, that doesn't mean we don't need them players, but it might mean that we need other players in other positions as well that we might that we're not thinking of. We've been linked a lot this week. Um ridiculously in my opinion, but with another centre half. And I'm thinking, why does he need another centre half? But maybe long term, he's thinking of playing five at the back. I, 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 I'm not at the stage yet where I know what he's thinking, mm. but I know we need better quality. And certainly in them positions for me would be the start. I would start with the right hand side because it's nowhere near the left and the left's not perfect. Mm. Dinier is fantastic, but I still think we need to find a way of putting someone in front of him who can do overlap and do what he does because if we are playing a 4-3-3 it leaves us exposed at the back when he goes forward that's what makes me lean towards wondering whether he will play five at the back to cover for Digne when he does bomb forward so again it's it's about the positions he wants to fill in the formations he wants to play um, but that would be the starting point for me mm-hmm. definitely on the right Lee would you start on the right hand side this summer and look to improve that right hand side which then might improve our style of play yeah, it's a no-brainer. Um, and actually, you've just got me thinking. And I think aside from possibly the Tottenham game on the opening day of the season, I'd say that first half against Fulham away is probably our best performance of the season for me. Where And, and that was we went five at the back, didn't we? For that yeah. game. Well, we'll be right uh, wing back, yeah. And with a, with a right wing back, yeah. So I think, obviously, Luca Dean, style of player that he is, lends himself well to being a left wing back. We've we're well stocked in terms of centre halves. Um obviously the right back or right wing back if he were if he were to go five at the back is a is a, a position we've highlighted and identified a long time ago. Everyone's sort of universally in agreement with that. And it wouldn't surprise me at all if Max Aaron's is that player that comes in because um, obviously, one, he's going to want to jump up and, and play Premier League football. And two, I think his best mate is Ben Godfrey. Um, and you'd like to think that that could sway things our way a little bit in terms of attracting him to Everton. So he would fit in perfectly there in terms of the type of player that he is. And then there's your right-hand side sort of boxed off. Because Seamus Coleman, you know, he'll still stick around and you know he'll be an able deputy as long as that's what he is and that's his role. Um and then we can we can start looking at other areas of the pitch because we, we, we still need a dominant midfielder. We still need someone who who carries that pace and that trickery and um, that guile in the middle of the park because we haven't got we've got the energy with Decore in there. We've got you know the little terrier in there with with Alan, but we're still missing something in that midfield. And I still think we're short up front. So, um, but the priority absolutely. We've said it all along, Mick, and I agree with what Ben and what. Um, Rob said there it's 100% the right hand side um, and and there's no chance on earth that Ancelotti and the team haven't identified that also so you'll see that happen in the summer I've got no doubt about, about that mm. Rob I've already asked this question tonight but I'm going to ask you as well right back or right wing which one is the more important position to get sorted right back for me I think I was talking about incremental progress before I think we've got to start somewhere and if we if we, if we bring in a right back a mobile right-back. And Max Adams, by the way, for me, is perfect. He's 21 or 22. Um, he's got his whole career ahead of him. And every I haven't watched an awful lot of him, I'll be honest with you, but I'd say I'd, I'd seen him 
between five and ten times. Every time I've seen him, his first thing in his head is to get forward. Now, we haven't got that in our makeup. Certainly not on the right hand side. If we can, if we can get that balance of the back four and sort that out, because Godfrey's a, a, an absolutely for me, he's he's going to be a world beater. I think he's brilliant. Then mm. um, yeah, um, Aaron's he could be cut of the same cloth. No, it's too early to say, but he looks he looks a player to me. He really does. If we can bring him in, um, and then it's a choice whether you know between Keane and 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 Mina to, to go next to Godfrey, short or long term. You've got your defence sorted. You're right about the midfield. I don't know what it is we need in that in that middle three, because we've got the Terrier, we've got the the energy. Are we going to have a creative player in the mix, or are we going to look at, at, at making that solid middle three and putting the creativity in the in the, in the flanks on a four three three? Again, we'll have to, to see what Ancelotti's thoughts are on that. But it does no harm, by the way, to have all these options in your squad, so you can change it because you don't want to be predictable. Um, so we'd like to, to wave a magic wand, bring a striker in, bring a winger in, bring this in. We haven't got that type of moment at the moment. We're going to have to do a step-by-step for me. Sort the defence out. Try and find a bit of creativity and we'll move on to the next window and see where we go after that. Okay. Rob, before you go, I'm going to ask you a quick question. Where are Everton going to finish this season? Sixth. Sixth. You mark me where it's sixth. (laughs) (laughs) Rob, thanks for joining us as always. Thanks for having Rob. Take care. Thank you, Rob. Thanks, Rob. Next guest this evening is Matthew Barry. Matt, you've come on to talk about James Rodriguez, his, his games to injury ratio. What are your thoughts on that? Hi, Mick. Um, thanks for having me on. Good evening, welcome. guys. Welcome, um, Matt. It, 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 yeah, it's, it's just about you know some of the things that have been written about James or and spoken about today uh, about his injury record, especially the uh, the the article that uh, Richard Keyes has, has come up with um, today and. You know, I, I think that the, the club knew exactly what they were getting themselves into when they signed Hammers. Um, you know, bearing in mind he played, you know, very few games for Madrid last year. Um, he had no preseason um, to talk of um, yet, but he's produced. You know, he's, he's played twenty-one games. He's got five goals and eight assists. You know, I, I, I don't think that that can be criticised at all. Mm. Lee, what are your thoughts on that? Do you think the games to injury ratio is, is worth having around? <laughs> Absolutely, yes. Absolutely, yes. Mick, we've we've not been to Goodison Park for 12 months. And if I don't get to go and see James Rodriguez live in the flesh at Goodison Park, I don't think I'll be happy for as long as I live. I, I want to I wanna see if he's that attractive in person. Um, I, I just want to see him on the pitch. I want to see him do one of those passes that he does, you know, score a goal, whatever. I need to see James Rodriguez play live. So M- Matt's absolutely spot on in what he says Everton knew what we were getting when we bought Hamas Rodriguez we knew we weren't getting a 35 game a season consistent player you know he's 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 someone who, who comes in for, for a few games and then he might have to drop out because he, he's, he is injury prone he's had fitness problems now going back five or six seasons but obviously that, that is outweighed by the productivity that he, that he provides when he is on the pitch and his statistics this season back it up um, and hopefully we, we're going to see a lot more of him in the next 10 games because he could be crucial in getting us over the line and ultimately us getting European football or not. But yes, he's absolutely worth it, worth it Mick. No doubt. 
Matt, do you feel, though, that having the likes of James Rodriguez at Everton, it then strengthens the argument to have more depth at the football club, knowing that he's probably only going to play 20, 25 games a season? Yeah, absolutely, Mick. I, I think it does. And, you know, that that's where recruitment's going to be you know, so so crucial um, over the summer is to, to get legs into the team um, and get a bit of strength and depth as well. You know, when when you look at um, you know some of the, the positions that we're really lacking in at, at the moment, you know he's predominantly going to play off the right if he's not going to play uh, in the number ten position. So you know we all need we all know we need a right back. Um, we all know we need a right sided midfielder or a winger you know, who's going to be able to to beat a man or, or get past get past the last defender and and get balls into the box and, and across the face of goal. But I um, just, just want to pick up on, on some of the Lee said as well, which is a really, really key point um, about Hammers. Um, is that if, if you go back through through you know his, his appearances for his clubs, you know, he's averaging about 30 odd games a season. You know, so I, I don't think he's he's as injury prone as as the perception is of it. I think you know the clubs where where he's been at, you know, they're the regular European um, you know, European competition, you know, clubs, Real Madrid, Bayern Munich, Porto. So they do play more games than than a lot of other clubs. So I think from from a fitness point of view, you know, 25, 30 games a season is probably what we can expect out of him. Mm. Ben, just touching on what Matt just said, Hamas Rodriguez, he, he's never out long term. He's never out for, you know, 20 games. It's normally in clumps. He's normally out for three, comes back for three, then he's out for five. So do you think that we have to just almost suck it up when he's out and then enjoy him when he's available? Yeah, look, the sun's coming out now. It's time for him to shine. Do you know what I mean? Like spending that warm weather, apparently. <laughs> so let's get him uh, kicking the football again for Everton. But yeah, Matt's right there. Having a quick glance over his injury record. And over the past 10 years, I think it's only roughly approximately misses 10 games a season on average. So which, as Matt quite rightly stated, teams playing in obviously the Champions League and the... Uh, La Liga and he only misses 10 games a season which isn't a lot of games really if you, if you put it into context how well the likes of Real Madrid did in the league and the Champions League and uh, Bayern Munich also but it's just so pinnacle to this Everton side and you can just see how much better we are when he's in the team um, it's it's phenomenal you, you look at just like the X the XG stat, the expected goals, goes up to over 1.2 with him in the side and it, it drops to under 0.8 per game um, when he's not in the team. So just based on that stat alone, it just shows you how much, how important he is to that team and getting in that free role. And we're all desperate to see him play. And it was just sad that when fans were temporarily allowed back in, he got one of his little calf knocks and the lads and the and the girls who went to, to Goodson Park to see those couple of games couldn't get to see him in the flesh because he is made by the gods. Let's not get it wrong. What a stunning human being. And um, even off the pitch, though, Mick, um, the revenue he's bringing in from Colombia. Obviously, I think the shirt set was it six thousand percent the shirt set. Yeah, yeah. yeah the, the the shirt sales went up in Colombia, and look what that's doing for like global. Uh, business for Everton. It's got to be pulling in some revenue, and we had the whole of Times Square in New York with James Rodriguez and Everton. Kit. The whole, the whole thing's still a bit surreal for me. And he, look, he is a global superstar. He is one of the, the, he's in the top five elite on like your social media and like your, your public following for me. So he does an awful lot on the pitch, and he's doing an awful lot off the pitch as well. Um, it, it's not, it, it's hard for Evertonians because I know we're desperate to see him play and. I, 
you know what the frustration is and the likes of Richard Keyes coming out? I think it's more frustration that we go into a bit of these slumps with Adam and it's never really confirmed what the injury is. But he's come out himself, Hamez, and said, look, I wasn't ready for the physicality. He got hit in the, in the what can't really say, in the balls, didn't he, against Liverpool. And he's had a few groin knocks and a few calf knocks and he probably wasn't ready for just how intense and physical it was in the Premier League. And teams are targeting just how good he is. Um, they're going through him, they're hitting the early doors. I think Newcastle man marked him out the game by Shelby just kicking him into Rosehead, which he was no offered no protection from the referee. And you are going to get injured when players like man marking you out the game. But as uh, Matt quite rightly said, said there, 21 games he's played, five goals, eight assists. That's that's super. That's really good going for um, apparently a lightweight every, player. Every 44 minutes, he produces something that's either a goal or an assist mm. since well, he's been on the pitch for us. There well, you go. Just shows you just how, yeah. how big of a player he is for us. So it, it, it was amazing, you know, read, read, reading the, the Richard Keys thing, you know, and, and it's, you, you're just reading it and it's complete disbelief and it's completely missing the point of, of you know, what, what Hammers has, has brought to Everton. And, you know, something like Richard Keys, he, he's been banished to you know, be in sports and, you know, his, his, his opinion belongs in one place in the UK and that's on the Premier League years when you want a bit of nostalgia because he's so <laughs> far, he's, he's, he's so far removed from from modern day football. Mm. You know, it, it's, it's just, his opinions are just laughable. They, they really, it's, really are. The, the stats don't even back him up though, Matt, either do they? Like you said no. there, it's clear to see that he's, he's fabricating everything what he's saying. Yeah, yeah. You know, if Hammers... It, it's your spot on bench. If if Hamis plays his last ten games, right, then he's played. He's played twenty. He would have played twenty eight league games for us. And at the start of the season, with no preseason whatsoever, with little football last year, if you're going to get twenty eight games out of Hamis Rodriguez, yeah, it's a phenomenal return. Mm. Unbelievable, I agree. Mm. You'd almost say, "Well done to the Everton medical team for managing him." A million percent, Mick. Absolutely, million percent. You look at you know. Some of, some of the, you know, Gabam and bless him, it, it, it'll be what it'll be with him. And, and he's mm. had a terrible time. But when you look at somebody like Delph, you know, who, who turned up at the club, you know, fairly, fairly decent, you know, decent health and condition. Mm. And you know, we've got next to nothing out of him at all for, for the best part of 18 months. Mm. Yeah, I'd rather 100% fit Hammers than an 80% fit to push for this run of games that we've got left to. He's going to be massive absolutely. in the running for me. It's going to be absolutely yeah. huge. Oh, it'll be key, Bench. It'll be absolutely key to, it's, to it's, what yeah, we it's do. It's not a player that you're going to risk at all. No, so if no. there's any doubt about Hamas Rodriguez, then no. you're not going to take and, that risk of him being out for no. a couple of months. No, he's, he's the type of player, Lee, as well, where if you're, you know, if, if you're 2-0 up with, with 10, 15 minutes oh, to go, get him off. just get him off the pitch. Get him yeah, off. Absolutely. yeah, wrap him in cotton Absolutely. Mm-hmm. So a, a fit Hamas Rodriguez, Matt, where are you playing him in this Everton team? Uh, I play number ten. I play flat three in midfield mm. um, with uh, Alan. I would play Tom Davis, pr- probably persist with with Gomez. Um, I play Hammers just in front of them, and I'd have Richarlison and and Carver Lewin up front. I think yeah, you know yeah. ten games to ten games to go now. It's it's, it's a mini season in itself, mm. and I, I think we're solid enough at the back. Um, but you know, Ancelotti just needs to take the shackles off now. We we, we need to win games. We even though you know, we we need to be pragmatic at times, and and I think when we play away, 
Um, we'll continue in the vein that we have done all season, playing away. But it's time to get brave now, I think. Mm. Lee, do you agree with Matt there? Would you move Hammers into a more central role and let him roam free, so to speak? Yeah, that's where he's looked his best. You know, he's he's one of these. We, we spoke earlier on about this luxury player. Um, you know, you've got to give him license to roam and, and express himself and, and be the artist of a footballer that he is. Um, so, as you know, Matt just said there. You know, we've got enough behind him. You know, in terms of the the, the type of player that we have in our squad. You know, the, the defense is is not really the problem. We've got Tom Davis. We've got Alan now back, who, who provides you know that that good coverage behind him. We really need a, a fit and fire in Hamas Rodriguez, given a free role to pull those stri- pull the strings in in that side and make things happen for Richarlison and Calvert Lewin in front of him. And and I'd go along with what Matt just said that I'd play him centrally, right behind a two of Calvert Lewin and Richarlison up front because I think we've seen the benefit of playing Richarlison a little bit more up top. I think he he, he personally enjoys that role. He's definitely more productive in that role than when he's stuck. In, in a more wide position. So I think that's the role for him. Um, it's just all about getting him on the pitch. But hopefully the time, and now obviously with this international break, he's had that time to rest up. And Ancelotti has come out in his press conference last week to say he, he fully expects him to be back um, for the Crystal Palace games. That's really something to look forward to. And hopefully he can uh, spark a much improved, more expressive Everton performance at home. Mm. Matt, before you go, I'm going to ask you the question. Where are Everton going to finish at the end of the season? Sixth. Sixth. We'll take that. We'll take that all day. Matt, thanks for joining us, mate. Really appreciate it. It's a pleasure. Take care. Thanks and for having me on, guys. Thank thanks, you, Matt. Thank you, lads. Thank Cheers. You. Bye-bye. Take care. Our next guest this evening is Rob Fisher from the Fitzrovia Bell in London, who is actually a, a partner of ours. Rob, thanks for joining us. Cheers, mate. Glad to be on. Welcome, and, uh, Rob. Welcome. Thanks for letting me on, guys. Cheers. Rob, hey, Rob, we've come on to talk about our right back and right wing issue and the right hand side. Yeah, so the puzzle of uh, the right back and right wing side that we know we've seen uh, many, shall we say, poor displays from. Uh, well, obviously, recently it's been Holgate and Awobi that's probably been the bone of contention. Um, but obviously, it may be a case we need right back and a right winger slash right attacker. Um, Coming up, um, obviously, we know Seamus has been a great servant to the club over the years, and he's probably got another season or so um, left with us. But his his time on the pitch is probably dwindling, although he can still make an impact. Um, and then, obviously, John J. Kenny's not in favour at the moment. Um, it looks like he'll be heading on his way out. So, uh, my question, obviously, would be: What do we do? Obviously buy new players would be the easy answer but what options do we have any in the current squad and uh, just like to get the guys thoughts on that first mm. Ben what are your thoughts on that um, it's a difficult one isn't it um, obviously we, we spoke about Seamus Coleman he's been a massively brilliant servant to this football club over the past few years and it's just it's sad to see that he's, he is starting to lose that one yard of screaming pace that he had um, for me John Joe Kenny isn't the answer either I don't think he's up to the standard to up for Everton Football Club. Don't give me he get, gives it his all when he's on the pitch, but um he's not for me going forward. He's not, he hasn't got that quality and he hasn't really got that full back mouth for when to go and when to come back. And you look at Holgate, he's done a job. Um he's played obviously twenty-one games, he scored once, but he's got no assists compared to obviously Lucas Dean on the left. And 
the 26 games, six assists. It just shows that we're all kind of lopsided at Evan at the moment. We've kind of all gone down the left-hand side and teams know not to stack men uh, on their left, to, obviously, because we don't get down our right-hand side much. It's very much central uh, and to the left with Luca Dean bombing forward. So it's quite easy to play against and defend against. So completely agree with what um, Rob said there. It, it's a, it's an issue that needs addressing as soon as possible in the summer for me. That's the number one priority. I've said it on previous podcasts. It's got to be addressed now. What formation does Carlo want to play? Does he want to play the 4-3-3, 5-3-2, 3 It's one of them. There are names getting thrown about. Obviously, the one that stands out for me is Max Ahrens, who is my favourite um, candidate to fulfil the role. He's young, 21-year-old, under uh, international, and He's brilliant. He gets forward. He creates chances. He knows when to go and he instinctively knows that he wants to attack. That's his game. He's got the highest creative chances in the championship this season. And I think like the expected goals are sort of obscene that the striker, I think Pookie is missing a lot of chances that he's created. So he could have double figures and assists, but the strikers just aren't taking the chances. Now, other names mentioned are obviously Lampy from uh, Brighton, but he's more of like predominantly right wing back in a back five. Um, he obviously about five or three, five or four. He's not the tallest player, but he is all out attack down the right, and he, he get you loads of pace, and he give you that in abundance. But obviously defensively, he needs that back three as a cover. And you've got now today the Lucas Vasquez rumours seem to be resurfacing again all over Twitter, and he's one who's been playing right wing and also can play in a back five as a right wing back. So he's available on a free potentially that he could be the one coming in. But for me, uh, Mick and Robert, it's got to be Max Adams for me. You've got to go forward and get out the number one target. He will solve the issue for the next 10 years for me and it will give you that option to overlap, hopefully give more time and space to our wingers to give them more room to obviously get the better crosses in, get behind teams we haven't been doing all year. Mm. Rob, it's, 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 a, it's a hot topic at the moment amongst Evertonians, Everton's style of play. Do you think that the style of play on the right-hand side go hand-in-hand? You know, the style of play is not particularly attractive because we've got an issue on the right-hand side. Yeah, I think it kind of looks that bad when you've got such a quality left-back in Lucas Dean on the other side. I think it really adjusts it. I mean, I know uh, Ben's uh, on the Max Aaron's fan club already, I think. that, uh, <laughs> And uh, I know he's definitely one who should be looked at in the summer. Um, probably unattainable, but I think before his injury... Um, James Justin at Leicester. Uh, if you look at the way he's played this season, that is the type of fullback that you need to come in where he's solid defensively, but also just knows when and how to get over the halfway line. And also, I think he's come up with a couple of goals for them as well this season. Um, and then going into the more forward role, I think if you want to play the 4-3-3, that style of play, then I think to sort of have Richardson, say, in front of Dinia on the left, you've got to look at someone with more pace. I know you guys were talking about it on the podcast from the weekend. Uh, Kevin Ratcliffe brought it up especially. Um, and one player, I think pace now has become a different way of pace. I don't think it's necessary just put a ball over the top and someone runs onto it, but it's pace with the ball and dribbling and passing. And I think one name that this season... Um, that I particularly liked and probably in a underperforming team has been uh, Pedro Neto at Wolves. Yeah. Um, so I don't know what the guys think about that as well. Mm. Lee, Pedro Neto, it's, it's yeah. a good shout from Paul. I know he's a, he's a big admirer. People, people do like Pedro Neto. He's skillful. He's, he's tricky. He's quick. He's probably something that Everton don't have um, in their armoury. Could you see someone like him maybe coming across to Everton? 
Oh, I'd love us to go for him. I c- couldn't agree more with you, Rob. Um, he's, he's the one player that you've probably looked at who's attainable, you'd say, um, where you've gone, yeah, I could, I could see him in an Everton shirt. He's got everything we need. Um, and again, Rob, good point. I think pace, if you, if you went back to the 80s and the 90s, you think Gary Lineker, you know, pace over the top. Football has changed and it's evolved. It, it is about someone who can, who's got that burst of pace with the ball, who can, who can beat a man and, and break the lines. That's what Everton haven't got. You know, when we when we feed the ball into that midfield, it's very static. It's foot on the ball. It's stop. It's stop and either sideways or backwards or it's too slow and ponderous and it gives the opposition a chance to retain the shape um, and, and predict what, what we're going to do, basically. So if you look at him as a player, he's got all the attributes we need. He's skillful. He's got pace and abundance. You know, he offers a threat. Um, so if, if, you, if you're talking about a perfect transfer window for me, it will be him. Max Aaron's and and a, and a top level striker um, to to support Calvert Lewin. Um, so you know Wolves to Everton is it a step up? You know that's a, that's a separate question. It depends which set of support you, you're asking. I suppose mm-hmm. obviously we're all going to say yes, it is. Um, but it's all going to come down to a topic we've discussed previously, which is can we you know secure European football because that's going to be something that might be uh, attractive to him, but he's a player, yeah. I'd love to see him in a blue shirt. I think he'd suit it, just like Hammers does. Mm. Rob, which right back, right wing, I've, I've said earlier, you know, it's going to be maybe a difficult summer compared to previous summers due to the COVID it's... pandemic. Out of those two positions, right back, right wing, which one do you think is more important? Uh, I always, uh, I think you, and I think Carlo thinks this way as well. I mean, we've been linked with that, that Koulibaly again today, which I'm not sure that's a red herring, to be honest, but um, I think uh, defensively, you know, that's the, the now of Carlo. I think he will look at the right-back position first. And um, obviously, it'll be interesting to see the England under-21s over the next week. I think uh might, might be wrong, but I think it might be Aarons and Godfrey playing together in the back four, which will be interesting. Mm. Ben, do you think this spells the end for the likes of John Joe Kenny this summer? Do you think that's the end for them, the end of the line? Yeah, I think so. Um, obviously, I don't know. I haven't really been keeping up to date with Celtic and how they've been playing and if he's been playing very well, to be honest. Um, but I haven't seen anything that's really stood out. Obviously, you've seen your Ellis Sims at Blackpool scoring, which is all over Twitter. But I've not, I haven't really seen much of John Joe Kenny up in Scotland. And look, if we can get a reasonable fee for him, um, I think we were looking around £8 million, weren't we, last year? And no one came in with that offer. And look, if we get... If we get a decent fee for him, we can go into the budget and obviously with financial fair play looming over our heads, we need every penny we can get at the moment. And I just, yeah, it's just a, it's just a sad day to see because obviously us Evertonians have seen for years like that the prime Seamus Coleman was an absolute joy to watch um, for all Evertonians who went to Goodison. Him, him and the Baines combo, it's it's been amazing to see. And we, have, we haven't needed to address this position for the past 10 years and it was sad seeing Leighton Baines go, and it's going to be even sadder to see Seamus go. And he's one of the players to fall for the shirt, and he was desperate for a trophy, wasn't he? And you could just see how dejected he was after the uh, the City game. It just feels like it was a last chance saloon for him. Um, so yeah, it's 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 an end of an era for him. But look, we, the, the players are there to bring in, and we just need to get that right. And as Rob said, we need the whole right side needs sorting out, to be honest. We need a right back and we need a quick right winger to obviously get in behind teams. And how we do that, I don't know. It's got to be up to Marcel Brands and Carlo to identify the players who 
uh, on the right deals. Because like I said, we're, we're not soft. We know there isn't going to be 40, 50 million pound players, get two or three of them coming in abundance. We haven't got that money to spend and we need to box clever um, in relation to that. And as Lee and Rob touched on there, Neto is the, he's just unbelievable. Every time I watch him, I watch him and I don't even know which way he's going myself. He's both footed, takes it round. You know? I go with him when I'm watching the TV and he cuts back in on his left. He's just a sublime player and I'm hoping Brands use just contacts in the South American leagues to pull out one from the ass, a bit of a, a magical signing from a, a South American team there. So it's it's one of them. But for me, if you're going to choose a right winger or right back, we need the right back sorting out as a matter of urgency. Mm. Rob, before you go, I'm going to ask you the question, where are Everton going to finish at the end of the season? Oh, sprung that one on me, mate. Uh, I'm hoping seventh. The key games are going to be the... Um, the Spurs, West Ham, and uh, obviously we've got to play Villa twice. Mm. Also Arsenal away. I think those games. But the next two, we've got to get six points because a lot of the teams around us play each play each other. Um, so, yeah, I mean, the next... I mean, I know we've only got 10 games to go, but the next four or five games, I think we've got Arsenal, Spurs, Brighton, Palace. They're going to be the key games, really. I think if we, if we can pick up them... The next two games is crucial, though, because we've seen with Fulham, Newcastle, Burnley how we slip up at home. So uh, Palace, always the next game is critical. So three points there could kick us on, hammers back, a um, bit more strength in depth off the bench as well. So um, I'm hoping that I'm hoping seventh, seventh, I think higher than that um, will be a real, real push, but I think seventh place we can do. Mm. Lee, I know you had a very, 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 very special question for Rob. Yeah, I did Rob. Yeah. It's just been playing on my mind and I thought, you know, while, while I've got you on, I'll use the opportunity to ask you the question. Um, so, what what IPAs do you have on draft at the Petrovia? <laughs> oh, yeah, that's going to be the question. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, you mate, anything. Uh, no. uh, yeah. We've got Beaver Town Neck Oil and we also got Green King brought out a new uh, IPA called Icebreaker last oh. year. So, both of those are on tap. They're both quite different tasting. So, I will line you up a taster session when you come in. Yes. <laughs> yes. Well, on behalf of all of us, I cannot wait to get down there and sample a few of them. Jane, Rob, I can't wait, mate. No, it'd be yeah. great to meet you, lads. It'd be great to meet you. Rob, thanks, thanks for coming on, mate. Really appreciate it. Cheers, Cheers Rob. Take care. Take care, all mate. the best. Take care. And that's all we've got time for this time on the Big Everton phone-in. The Big Everton phone-in will be back next month. Thank you to all our guests. Lee, Ben, thanks for joining me. We will be back. A view from the Bullins. We will be back next week. In the meantime, stay safe and take care. All the best. Thank you. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most, but if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com.